0: The last two weeks, we've chosen, I hope, to listen to Jesus and lean in on what it looks like to love our literal neighbors as ourselves. Two weeks ago, we, I challenged us to get to know the names of our neighbors, to move uh, us from that, uh, that reality that many of our neighbors are strangers to us. We know what they drive. We know uh, maybe their address. We know something about them. We know how noisy their dog is, but we don't even know their names. And Jesus has asked us to love our neighbor as our- ourselves. And we can't really love things, love people that we don't even know the name of. We can't love them well. And so we uh, had this idea of moving from stranger to acquaintance. That first step, just get to know your neighbor's names. And and we played tic-tac-toe together two weeks ago, remember? And I challenged us to write down the names of our eight closest neighbors. And I hope hope some of you have taken a step to get to know even just the names of, of your neighbors. Our family's having fun with it. We don't just talk about our neighbors anymore as, yeah, the neighbor across the street. We we are able to talk about them by using their names. And even in my addressing some of them this week, it's so fun just to put to practice what God is putting on my heart. Last week, if we move from that first step of moving from stranger to acquaintance, by, by understanding we've got to know our neighbors. We've got to know their names. Last week, the, the challenge was to move from acquaintance to relationship, that we know in order to love someone, we've got to be in relationship with them. We can have these superficial love attractions with people, but what if we're not in legitimate relationship, it's not true Love, And we admitted last week that time is no doubt the biggest barrier for us to invest in more or deeper relationships. We acknowledge we are busy people and we uh, challenged ourselves to practice, participate in the art of elimination, uh, of being willing to say no to even some good things in order that we may say yes to some God things. This morning, I want us to continue uh, in this idea of how to neighbor. We're wrapping up this series uh, this morning, but I want us to take another step back and take a a serious look at some of the ways we miss the mark. Some of the ways we as individuals, some of the ways we as families and as a, a church miss the mark of literally loving our neighbors as ourselves. We in Christianity are not known very well as loving neighbors, and it shouldn't be this way. I I grew up in the church and maybe if you uh, grew up in the church or maybe even if you didn't grow up in the church, you uh, got some of this same advice from your your parents, your extended family Uh, if you're like me, your guidance everyone seemed to be giving me Steven, this advice growing up to stay away from the wrong crowd. Did you ever get that advice? Stay away from the wrong crowd. If you didn't get that advice, there's a chance that you're a part of that crowd that I was supposed to stay away from. (laughs) true (laughs) if you're like no nobody ever told me that look back in your mind's eye real quick and go oh my goodness I was that guy I I was told often stay away from the wrong you you need to make sure that you surround yourself son grandson surround yourself with good people my whole life my whole growing up well, I, now, now I look back at it and say I, I lived in a bubble, right? Anybody else grow up in a bubble? You felt like you grew up in a bubble and you resented some of that? Let me tell you, uh, much of the bubble that I grew up in really saved me, especially in those impressionable years. I feel like it was to- told me often, hey, watch who you're hanging out with. Who are your friends? Know who they are. As a kid growing up in the church, anytime the church was open, yeah, I was a pastor's kid, so it was natural for us to be in the church anytime the church doors were open. But everything we seemed to do revolved around the church in Christianity. Uh, we would have meals with people in our church every week. Someone was in our house or we were in someone else's house. Anytime the church was having a ministry, that's where we went. We frequented those places in the spiritual formation of who I am. It revolved often, most often, almost always around, surrounding myself with other Christians. I am so thankful. I, I have no idea. I don't, think I, I don't think I know. Even a fraction of the ways my personality, my bent towards sin and separation from God have been saved because of the roadblocks that were put into my life and that I learned to put into my own life as I grew up. There are many ways that I know that God saved me from failure because of roadblocks that were put into my life because of being encouraged and counseled along my life's path to watch who I surrounded myself with. It was good advice, especially at the impressionable age that it was hammered home into my mind and heart. I am thankful for the positive influence. The people in my life who were challenging me, the bubble that I grew up in. That advice to stay away from the crowd, it it comes in many forms, many good meaning phrases like, uh, it's better to be alone than in bad company. If you were ever told that, you grew up like me. Maybe it was used this way, you are who you are by virtue of the company you keep. That's pretty good advice. I'm thankful for that kind of advice in the young age of growing up. For the most part, I heeded that good advice. What's unfortunate, what, I, what I've come to terms in understanding is that that lifestyle, that bubble mentality, that safety net that was so impressionable to me, I have carried on in much of my life today. In many of the same ways that I took the advice as a kid to make sure that I didn't put myself in compromising situations, in, in dangerous locations, or around people that didn't know who Jesus was, there is a lot of this guy that still resembles Junior High seven. And as I read the New Testament, as I read the ministry of Jesus, as I see how Jesus interacted, can, I just, can we just admit this? It's not once or twice, but, but often in Scripture, Jesus is accused by the good people, the church people, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law, Jesus is accused often in Scripture of spending too much time with those who are outside the church. Jesus, the example. Jesus, the one we worship. Jesus, the one we are to keep our eyes on. Jesus, the one we are to follow after. Jesus. Not the copy of Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, was often accused rightly that he was spending time with the lost. The story of Zacchaeus, we we covered it just a couple of weeks ago again, is an example. That at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus declares, he reminds those in the room that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. No, guys, the people who are comfortable on green chairs at Hyde Wesleyan Church. Right? The Son of Man came to seek and save those who have Hyde Wesleyan bumper stickers. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who have good church attendance and tithing records. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who helped raise $150,000 to fix up some needed repairs at their church. The Son of Man, isn't that what it says? Heretic, somebody yell, right? (laughs) Some people don't know me yet, and they're like, oh my goodness, what kind of... Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was. He's the good doctor. It's not the healthy. It's the sick that need a doctor. We do everything we can to make sure we're healthy so that we don't have to go to the doctor. Jesus is the good doctor. He came to seek and save that which was lost. The story continues. In Luke chapter 7 this morning, another highlight of Jesus' interaction with the brokenness of humanity all uh, around him. And I believe another reminder for us today of how it is we are to learn to neighbor, to love our neighbors as ourselves, our literal neighbors with the literal love of of Jesus. Luke chapter 7, I'm going to put it up, up on the screen, but let me highlight again. If you have a phone or tablet bring your laptop, Dude, bring a desktop that would be so weird <laughs> set up a monitor and a TV tray I dare you. no don't, someone's going to do it don't do it any smart device you can follow along with the outline this morning in scripture right there in the Bible app you can find it if you have any questions about that find someone who's 10 years old or younger they'll tell you exactly how to do it or, or ask me because they showed me Luke chapter 7, I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation again this morning. Listen to this story, how it plays out. This is, this, this is powerful. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees, one of the good church people, Okay. one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Verse 37, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, a certain immoral woman is code for You got it. She's a bad woman. She's a prostitute. A certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on Jesus' feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. What a scene! When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Verse 40. It gets weird. Jesus answered Simon's thoughts. I love it. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. Verse 41, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Jesus asks, Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Who? Loved him more after their debt was canceled. Simon answered, "Uh, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Verse 44, this is overwhelming. Then he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, Simon, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45 You didn't greet me with a normal kiss of greeting, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my dirty feet. You, Simon, neglected the courtesy, the normal, common courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head as I entered, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus has said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Pray with me. Jesus, challenge the status quo inside of our hearts. Make us new. Remind us of this truth, not just in this moment, but every day. Would your word come alive to us today and challenge and transform us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful powerful interaction Jesus has here with Simon, a Pharisee. The story plays out so beautifully and it wraps up with an ending that leaves us applauding. We see it happening. We're like, yes! Finally, this is a great opportunity for the status quo. The the Pharisees who are in this moment, the thoughts that Jesus knows about, the heart condition. Jesus uses the story in a real life example right in his midst. No doubt this is the perfect chance for repentance For a 180 to happen on on those who know what God's love truly looks like. Unfortunately, verse 49 tells us a different story. After the most perfect opportunity for humility, for repentance, for a a cry out, Jesus, fix this in me. What What an awesome opportunity it would have been for Simon. And those who were in this group of Pharisees in this home... After the perfect opportunity is given to Simon in this group of Pharisees, verse 49. It just knocks the wind right out of our sails. The man at the table. All this plays out right here in front of the Men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Talk about missing the elephant opportunity of a lifetime, the the reality of perfect love right there illustrated in front of them, of not missing the mark, of uh, of seeing what's really needed, of really seeing what love can do, of really seeing what forgiveness through grace offers. And they throw up their hands. (laughs) Who does he think he is forgiving sins? And herein lies the reality that we face yet today. We see it illustrated right here, and we face it still today, November eighteenth, twenty eighteen. Here's the truth: Jesus is so much better at being Jesus than we are. Right? We read our passages like this, and we're like, "Oh my goodness, they have such an opportunity! Take the example right here in front of you; you can change everything." And the reality is, Jesus is so much better at being Jesus than we are, than humanity. Jesus is—he's not a copy. He's not attempting to be something. He's not. He is Jesus. He is perfect. His love is whole and perfect. And with that truth that Jesus is better at being Jesus than we are, we have two responses, right? We have two opportunities with that truth laid out in front of us, with that reality right here, right now. Let's use it right now, right here. The reality is we can say, yeah, Jesus is. He's the the best Jesus Jesus has ever been. And I'll never measure up. I'll never be like that. So we throw in the towel. That's the first response, right? That's that's pretty common, pretty normal. We read something like this about Jesus, and we're like, oh my goodness, he's he's a way better Jesus than I am. It's because he's Jesus. We toss in the towel, we step back, and we're like, I'll never, I could never, I could never do that. Or the second response. Hear this. Let this be our response. Jesus is so good and holy and perfect. I want that. I want to do even a little bit better at being like Jesus. And so there's a posture that comes with that second response of saying, yeah, Jesus is so perfect. He, he loves so much better than I can. Here's the posture. Lean in. Right, let's lean in on learning how to love like Jesus we we throw away the idea of loving our neighbor because we're like I can't love my neighbor you don't know my neighbor I've had some of those conversations pastor what do I do when I would rather kill my neighbor than love them (laughs) first of all let's go to the police department I think I'm supposed to call that in I've had I've had that response a couple times I think I'm supposed to call that in that's real right and we ask those kinds of questions not in jest, not just in fun, but because that's a real part where we're like, I, I want to be like Jesus, but I, you just don't understand. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know all of our stories, all of the realities. I know my stuff. And here's where I choose number two. I, I want to lean in on loving more like Jesus. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, if that's been commanded of me in Scripture, I I don't think it's just put there to remind me that I can't do it. The the wins this week, of the way I put this into practice, are so life-giving to me. No, No one knelt in the snow with me and made decisions to follow Jesus, okay? But there were other huge wins for me in just relationship building. And and learning to love and stepping out of the comfort zone. I had conversations in between services this morning. One of the coolest things about being a pastor is when people start doing stuff. And then they have stories to tell. And I I don't know if you've looked around, but our, our church is growing around us, right? And so the stories are starting to pop up a little more frequently. And it's so stinking exciting when someone puts to practice what God is asking them to do in their life. And they can't help but bubble over. They can't help but tell me the story. And sometimes it's surprising that they say things like, I just felt like I should tell you. Yes! Please! I want to know what God's doing. We're so shy to that in our culture. I want to choose that second response to admit that I'm not Jesus and admit that I've got work to do and lean in on learning how to do better. The big idea in this passage of Scripture and the way this story plays out, it comes from verse 44. When Simon says, in the New Living Translation, he says, or when Jesus says to Simon, look at this woman, Simon. In in the NIV, maybe you're you're reading from the NIV this morning, it says, do you see this woman, Simon? I, I, I think what Jesus is saying is take the blinders off, Simon. You've been so distracted You've been so focused in places in, in, in so much, in, in trying to prove yourself, in trying to do the right thing, look the right part, and trying to be a, a leader amongst your peers, Simon. Do you see what's right here in front of you, Simon? Jesus is saying. Look at this woman. Take off the blinders. Look right here, right now. It's as real as it gets. I move too much. No amens. I heard it. There's a clip back here. My wife was supposed to dress me better. No, I'm just going to chew on the mic. <laughs> We're going to cut this part from the sermon. Jesus says to Simon, "Look right here." And so I ask us, "How how are you?" Blinded today, do you really see what's going around you? I don't think it's by mistake that we have opportunities even this week, even today, even this morning, of seeing what's really going on right around us and how God is inviting us to take off the blinders and be His literal hands and feet. That's not just a phrase we throw around flippantly, it shouldn't be. Jesus is asking us, we are the ministry. Of Christ, We are the bride of Christ. We are at work doing His work, being led by His Holy Spirit to, to be His hope. And let's admit, it's normal. It's easy. It's safe for us to label certain people certain ways, right? We, we detach ourselves from those who we've labeled a certain way. Have you ever excused someone before they've ever asked you to excuse them? Do you know what I'm saying? You ever put somebody in a category? You ever put me in a category? What other categories? <laughs> Too much laughter. That's weird. You know what I'm saying? You, you ever answer for someone before they've asked you to? Well, we, we, we talk a, a, a lot about it in, in some of my peer conversations. Well, we've answered for someone before we've ever asked them. And then we're shocked when we finally realize that we do that so often. And then we ask someone to do something, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And we're like, wow. Well, I- I would have said you would say no. How dare we? Similarly, with our neighbors, with those in our community, we've put people in categories. We've created for ourselves these lists, these reasons why I'm not going to approach that neighbor. If you're like me, if you've ever said this, oh uh, this I, i'm scared here it goes and i'm not even going to fill in the blanks i'm just going to tell you what the, the sentence is if you've ever said this about someone oh i bet they i bet they're i bet he i bet she oh i i bet dot 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 insert blank we see certain things going on Okay, here's, here's the real life example we see uh, them pull in their three new cars to their parking lot, their driveway paved, not gravel I bet I bet they're not going to associate with the likes of me, gravel driveway guy but we see them stumble home on a Friday night loud out in the the yard or the driveway. I bet he we see them not show up or only one of them around for weeks at a time. I bet they did you do it? Are you upset that your pastor has done it? It's normal. And so we build up these fences and we say, they're not like me. We go back to junior high. And we think that's not the kind of person, that's not the kind of family, that's not the kind of relationship I want to invest in. And Jesus is saying, I love him. I love them. I want them to Him. Show them my love. Give them my hope. If our number one reason that we don't invest in relationships with those even right next door is time, we just don't have the time, the number two reason is no doubt, it's fear. We're 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 afraid. We're afraid of what's next door. The scary part of, uh, about our neighbors is that they're always there, right? Sometimes it's been easier for us to kind of disassociate uh, ourselves and maybe uh, plan a trip to uh, Swaziland or, or, or Haiti or some other country where we know uh, we can go love on this group of people, and then we can cut it off in some sense of the matter. We we can kind of love for a season and then remove ourselves maybe, maybe we get up enough energy to go love them some more. The scary part about neighboring, about loving our neighbors is that we have to go back to that mission field every time we go back to our home base. 2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power, love, and self-discipline. It's an encouragement from Paul to Timothy an early pastor, a young pastor in the early church, and it's the same encouragement for you and to me today. God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self this one you can do this with God's help. You can cross that threshold. You can cross that fence. You can have that interaction. You can be interrupted. So, what are we to do? I love asking that question. What, what are we to do? Some of you are doing that. There's stories coming up. It's so cool. Again, to hear how God is initiating things in certain individuals' lives. My ask again for us, will, will you learn to love your neighbor as yourself? Will, will you take steps to do that? Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Chapter 5, verse 14 the reminder is pretty striking again. He writes this, the law, the whole law, can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your literal neighbor. Literally love. Literally love your literal neighbor. Neighbor, what if we would do that this much better today? I mean, what what if we would do it this much better today? Let's lean in. How do we do it? Learn to live at a pace where we can be a little more interruptible. I, I've told you I'm, I'm a schedule guy, right? I keep my schedule. I try to keep my time, schedule in, time for my family and my day off. I don't like interruptions. I got things to do. This is hard for me to learn every day to be a little more interruptible. That's one of the things I love about snow. I've said it for years. I love how a snowstorm just interrupts everything. We are so culturally geared towards doing what we think we know we're supposed to do. And a snowstorm comes by and freaks us out. It's so fun. It is. It's a forced accountability, is what it is. It interrupts everything. We had plans. We knew what we were supposed to do. We gotta get the kid. We got things to do. And a snowstorm interrupts us. Live at a pace where we can be a little more interruptible. Secondly, look for opportunities to build relationships with those in close proximity. Again, friends. Make friends with your neighbors learn their names. They are loved by the same God that loves you. (laughs) Truth is, the same God who transformed you is willing and available to transform them. Finally, ask God to empower you to love like He loves. His love is perfect He gives you the opportunity today to love more like Him if you'll ask Him to give you the strength to do that. Would you stand? The opportunity is ours. challenges before us i'm praying for you i know you're praying for me i love it by the way in the hallways in the sanctuary Uh, i love getting ear tugged and someone saying i've been praying for you this week i don't know why god just laid it on my heart i've been praying for you specifically this week I, i love hearing that stuff Don't just lie to me, okay? The challenge is before us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't have to look very far to a different people group, to a different country, to find people to love right here, right now. Love well. You don't just represent Hyde Wesleyan Church. You're representing the kingdom. In reality, the kingdom, as it's portrayed, as Christianity is portrayed by the media, by the world around us, we haven't given them the best examples. And we know. We know they love opportunities. make us out to be something different let's give them better opportunities better examples let's love because we've been loved would you bow with me jesus you are the giver of all good things you've given us this day set it aside for us to worship to fellowship in your house to gather together for the purpose of building one another up God, I pray that in this place, if there would be one who does not yet know you as Savior, who has not surrendered their heart and their life, if they have not yet experienced the grace offered only through the blood of Jesus, Lord, I pray that this day would be the day of their salvation. They would choose right now to humble themselves before you and say, God, I'm a sinner. I repent. I want to do what you've called me and asked me to do. And Lord, if they would believe today in the power of the gift of Jesus Christ the one and only Son of God, if they would receive that gift today, Lord, I pray that you would transform them, renew their mind, their heart, their body. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, the body of believers, to enact change upon our culture, to be your literal hands and feet as we literally love our literal neighbors. Help us to get it, Lord. Help us to look right around us. Help us to see the woman like Jesus asked Simon to. Would you remove those blinders that are so easy to install and help us, Lord, to be you every day. Protect us. Help us not to be led astray. Help us not to be distracted. We pray for your strength in all that we do and say. And we pray all of it in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen.